Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of an afternoon's conversation with Krista Colbert. Krista is an artist, a horse trainer, and an educator. She is pursuing a career in the horse world, and she dreams of starting a classical dressage clicker training horse rescue someday. What a great dream that is. Last week, we talked about Krista's background, both in the horse world and in her search for a way of working with horses that felt morally right. That search brought her to clicker training, and Krista introduced us to Sage, an older mayor who she met while she was volunteering at a horse rescue. We're about to meet Huck, her second horse. So when I first had Sage, I basically I've had her at a lot of different people's houses. Like a lot of people here have a horse property but don't use it. Like they don't have horses. And so if you go up to them and say, can I keep my horse here in exchange for taking care of the land? Usually they're more than happy to have someone helping with irrigation and and all the other uh, stuff that land requires. And I had gotten a little foster horse to keep her company. And I did some clicker training with her and we both really liked her. and, And at the place we were, there were some other horses there too. So it was not just the two of them. But the foster horse got adopted, and, mm-hmm. and both of us were kind of heartbroken, <laughs> even though it was the best thing for the foster horse and all that. And, and I just thought, I was like, I can't put Sage through this again, particularly right. if I'm going to be moving around from place to place. Like, I really need her to have a best friend who she can be with forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I have Robin. Yeah. Because I wanted, you know, as a boarder, it meant that I did not have control over who Peregrine was turned out with. And, and I didn't want him losing friends. Yeah. So, yeah. so I got him a friend. That's why and, I had and, three horses. Yeah. Because I thought whenever one is either sick or I want to take one out, one in for training, then the other one always has another friend. Yeah. But yeah. as you know, lately I've, I've lost Pico. And so now they're just the two of them. And for now, that's how it's going to be. To be but yeah. in, the, in the beginning, the third horse was really to keep company whenever one yeah. would not be there. It's and, important and for the horses. It is important. Yeah. And what, what is important for me was that that there was stability for Peregrine. Yeah. That it wasn't because he yeah, he could be turned out with another horse. But then if the if that horse's owner decides to move away and take the horse away, then that's a wrenching experience for, for him. And yeah. so And that happens only, in boarding places all happens the in time. Boarding places. Yeah. Of course it yeah. does. And it's disturbing it for the horses. But you know, Again, we go back to the, va- the your beliefs. My belief system is that f- friendship for a horse is important, but some yes. people just think, they'll oh, get over it. You know, just give it a few days and they'll forget, they'll give over it. But I don't think they actually do. I think friendship is important to them. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so we have, the three of us have decided that we are going to make sure that our horses get to keep their friends. But you know what must be hard is when you have an older horse like that and they reach, let's say, I don't know, um, 30 and you're getting older too. And you think, well, um, Krista, maybe you're not there yet, but I guess for Alex and I, I'm sure you think about this, Alex, you know, am I going to get, when one of them goes, am I going to get another one to yet keep company to the one that's left? Right. But a horse lives 30 years, you know? So I, I haven't answered that question for myself yet. I know, you know. Do you I... have goats. So I suppose, you know, the goats could keep company. Well, that's what, that is, that is one of the reasons sitting in the background at some point with older horses, there will be one horse. Exactly. I don't want one horse by himself. Yeah, what do you do? Um, what do you do? Mm. Do you get another horse? And but then it's it never ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, experienced. You know, when you when you when you really know how long horses live because you've gone through their full life cycle with them, you think, all right. <laughs> you know, when I'm in my nineties. <laughs> Although the queen was you still know, riding in her nineties, but she was had still riding, but she had out. grooms. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she wasn't. She was not hefting seventy-pound hay bales. I know. <laughs> and 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 you know when it's twenty below zero, mm. at what point do you say, "Oh, I can't"? I Never mind whether I can, do I want to? Mm-hmm. I think at some point we may have to do an in-depth podcast on this, mm. of these these decisions that you made. Mm. Anyway, so so you got Huck to you got Huck to right. keep company uh, to Sage. Yes. And I wanted a horse who already was pretty good with basic care. Like Sage was still a little you know, it felt still a little stressful trying to get her feet taken care of or kind of the basic needs trailering still felt a little stressful. And I thought, you know, I, I should get a horse who I really know I can take good care of without doing a lot of training. Um, and, and also I was like, I'm, you know, I'm busy and I maybe don't have time to train two horses. So I should get a horse who's okay with, you know, with having not as much training which is actually not how it worked out, but that's okay. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I looked, I think I looked at Dream Horse or something. And if you look at the under $600 price range, you come up with old, really old horses or horses with health problems. Mm. And Huck was one of those. He uh, was a beginner lesson horse and Girl Scout camp horse. Actually, I think originally he did elk hunting and then he was sold to the lesson program and was there for about 15 years, I think. And right before I went to meet him, they said they had just sold his best friend who he had done the elk hunting with. So he did elk hunting and the lesson program the whole time with this other gelding. And it's they, like black beauty all I, over. I know. I know. It is. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah, it is heartbreaking. I mean, they were, she said they were totally best friends. Mm. And when I went to see him, I think she had said in the ad that I read, she said he gets sore 
when he trots a lot. And I was like, okay. Didn't know what the problem was. I go to see him and he can hardly walk. Okay. Um, I mean, really the lamest, one of the, one of the lamest horses I've seen. And, and, and was, was, was she not seeing the lameness? She, I don't really know. I'm not okay. sure if she was pretending to see it or like wishing it wasn't there or okay. what the deal was. Yeah. But yeah, I went and saw him. I mean, he seemed like a sweet horse. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like when you go to see a horse, it's like, oh, here's half an hour with a horse. Do you want to yes. spend the next 15 years with them? You know? Mm. I remember this was years and years ago one of the people boarding at the barn where, where I was she adopted a starvation case a thoroughbred mm. who seemed really sweet and then when he started when she started to feed him <laughs> she discovered that he wasn't the horse that she thought he was yeah surprise surprise <laughs> yeah yeah and Huck was also pretty skinny when I got him he was out in a heard and I think because he was so lame he could not get mm. access today. that's tough yeah um and and so I went to see him you know and I was like oh my god he's so lame and and I thought well I'll, I'll try to get a vet to go out and do x-rays but there were no vets available for three weeks and the lady was going to take him to auction okay. um, and so you know I was I, so I made myself this deal. I said, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get x-rays, and I'm going to be fine with putting him down if that's the best option. And I also set myself like a, a monetary limit. I said, I'm, if he needs a surgery that's more than this, I'm going to have to just put him down, you know, because I can't all help him. So he doesn't go to auction, but I cannot spend $10,000 on this horse. Right. And so I got him back and I got x-rays and he has high ring bone, which is in the pasturing joint. And, and you should just, you, yeah. you need, yeah. So, cause not everybody's going to know what high ring bone yeah. is. It's like really bad arthritis. And so in the, between the lower and upper pasturing joint, it grows spikes off of it basically um, that are obviously very painful. And they call it ring bone, I think, because at some point, it can grow, kind of growth happens all around it, like in a ring, all around the joint. And I had a couple vets and farriers look at him at first who said, there's nothing you can do for him, you know, you should put him down, which would have been, you know, he was in a lot of pain. So if that, if there was nothing I could do for him, then that would have been certainly the, the best option. Yes. But luckily, I found a vet and farrier who had experience with high ring bone. And they were like, oh, yeah, it, you know, we can help him. <laughs> It'll be fine. And, um, and so I guess with high ring bone, that's the one that you want if your horse is going to have ring bone. <laughs> Lower ring bone is between the pastern and coffin joint, I think. And that one uh, never stops being painful. The mm. high ring bone at a certain point will fuse like the, the bones fuse together and it, okay. the joint has low enough mobility that that's okay. And it doesn't hurt once it fuses because <laughs> nothing's rubbing anymore. So this farrier put on these therapeutic shoes, which were unbelievable. Like he was totally lame, put the shoes on and he could walk. 
I mean, wow. it's really amazing. <laughs> you know, and normally I like barefoot and all this stuff, but yes, yes. But, but, but. you know, these shoes are the saving thing for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and basically they're rounded. And so it's like a two piece plastic shoe. So he cuts out a piece of thick black plastic to fit the bottom of Huck's foot. And then he cuts out a second piece that's smaller. And then he files it, kind of. So he, Huck is like on, you know, tips, can tip all around. And the idea is that he can shift his weight without putting stress on the joint. When Sindri was laminitic, they made a shoe that's, it was actually made out of wood. It sounds very similar. Oh, yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been really helpful. And, um, and then the vet also, she said there's, you can inject it, the joint with steroids, which can help it fuse. And then you can also inject the joint with alcohol, which can help it fuse, but that's more risky because it can go wrong. And then there's, you know, if he was a young horse, they they can also do a surgery where they put a metal plate in that holds the joint together, which would be another option people sometimes do. But we have done the shoes and the um, steroid injection and which I think we're going to try to do again. And the vet and Farrier said that movement is good for him because we want the joint to fuse. So as long as he's comfortable enough to be moving, movement's good. And the difference here is that because when you're in a herd, sometimes you don't want to move, but you have to move. Right. Whereas here, they're just the two horses, they get along. And so if he doesn't want to move because he's in too much pain, he doesn't have to. I mean, I'm sure he will be, he will have access to food and water, which when you're in a herd is not always the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's a much better environment for him to be yeah. just with the one horse than in a herd dynamic. Yeah. With that yeah. kind of lameness. But this this also raises, gets to a really interesting point because in the clinics, you will often have horses that are not sound. It, it can be so frustrating when you have horse after horse after horse that I'm looking at where I'm saying, I don't think your horse is sound. Your horse is not sound. And it's it's not recognized that the horse is not sound. So the people are have not seen it. Mm-hmm. And then there is the question of, well, what are we dealing with? And is it fair to ask the horse to do anything? Mm-hmm. You know, so when you especially when you haven't recognized it, but you're seeing the signs of it in that. You know, the horse is pinning his ears, the horse is swishing his tail, the horse is refusing to go forward. You have all of these symptoms of an underlying, well, the reason this is going on is because your horse is not sound. Right. And, and so one of the things that I found of real interest as you were working with Huck is basically the decision to work him. Yeah. But, you know, Alex, when I've yet to see a physiotherapist, uh, for human, I mean, usually if you're in an acute episode, something just happened, you got hurt, they will prescribe rest. But if yeah. it's something chronic, they will always move. say move. I mean, and then there's moving and moving. Don't go right. for a five hour jogging, but you should walk every day. You know, they will always tell you that. If it's a chronic, something chronic, they will always yeah. say, move. The worst you can do is not do anything. 
if if you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. So if you like, if you have a horse that is just taken the proverbial bad step out in the field and has wrenched his pelvis and torn ligaments and so on. Yeah, that's box rest probably. That or you know, is that something that? And then as you bring them back, to what degree do you ask them to move? What are you asking them to do now? Of yeah, course, that's the what I've seen is is how much the lateral flexions really help horses. But there, but this this decision to ask horses to work, and then you've got to really be able to listen to the horse. Mm-hmm. And and provide some relief. I mean, the fact that Krista, you went, you asked your team of people. You know, what can you do? So you put the shoes on him. Um, you know, you could discuss it and you're doing these, these injections. And eventually, if he needs a little bit of pain relief, you can, you know, just like my mother, when she had arthritis, she takes Tylenol and it helps her go through her day. And she doesn't want to be put down, you know? <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So can you talk about how you worked with Huck and the whole listening to him part of this process yeah and so at first i thought i was getting him more as a companion you know probably more as a pastor pet and and he was kind of anxious at first probably because he was in a lot of pain but you know and i i started teaching him foundation lessons kind of right away but not a and he can do that without move yeah he can do grown up he was probably a grown-up superstar i can stand here and not move (laughs) well and he's you know lower his head you can do that you know peregrine learned yeah when i started clicker training it was because he he had he had abscesses in both of his front feet and he couldn't move but he could move his nose so he could orient to a target and that's what we started with yeah yeah uh, you know, and, and Huck was, he's very different from Sage. Like he at first was nervous about fly spray. So I went through a short teaching process and now he's totally fine with fly spray. Whereas Sage, you know, I've gone through five different teaching processes and she still doesn't like fly spray. <laughs> um, so it was fun to have him as contrast. And that was partly why I got him is that Sage and I can be very serious. And I was like, you know, we need someone to come lighten it up a little bit and have a sense of humor and just kind of um, have that personality. Um, But yeah, I started doing clicker training and I think it was really this spring that I started doing more movement work with him. Um, Well, that's not true. Last fall we did injections and he looked really good after the steroid injection. And I tried to do a lot of hand walks you know, walking him on trails and walking him and he loves it. I mean, he loves going for places and seeing stuff and, you know, uh, he gets all fired up about it sometimes, which is really fun. (laughs) And I thought, I always thought that the lateral work would not be good for him because turning and shifting his weight is really hurts it often. Mm. Um, But I just started, I was like, yeah, I just thought, well, I'll just try it, you know, and see what, he thinks and it actually made him look so much better (laughs) so I mean he you know he would tend to have his head really low and shuffle and he kind of paces like I think when his leg is lame that really tightens his back and so he doesn't he kind of paces and he's tight and his head is kind of low and he shuffles along so I would work on 
and I was teaching him math and he would get so excited about the math that he would pounce on it and make himself instantly lame. And, oh. you know, I, I was like, oh my God, you know, I've got to work on this. <laughs> so working on like the weight shift back, the weight shift forward, the little weight shifts were really big with him. Hmm. Um, and the careful, like picking up a foot and carefully setting it down was real. that, that really changed him even before the lateral flexions I think so the runway lesson basically was Mm -hmm. yeah the runway lesson really changed him and then the you know kind of a why would you leave me circle starting to slide down and ask for a little flexion was it a big circle not a super big circle yeah it is interesting like he when he's carrying himself well the turns were actually okay like walking on a circle was actually okay. But another, well, yeah, another interesting piece is that he is natural bent to the right. And his, originally his left leg was worse, but then I think we think it's fused because his left leg doesn't bother him at all now. And his right leg is the bad one. So now I'm like, you know, did his left leg fuse because he carries more weight on it? And that caused it to fuse faster. And then do I actually want to shift weight from that leg to the bad leg or like not, you know, I don't know. (laughs) But regardless, the, the lateral flexions have really changed the way he carries himself and have changed his walk. And even like a little started doing a little wall exercise with him. And sometimes he will be lame and I'll work with him a little bit and then he's sound yeah. like within 10 minutes you know it it's really um some days that doesn't happen some days you know he's just lame and I can't do it with him but yeah but that is really cool and I think he's teaching me to uh, to give the cue when I think he can do it so only give a cue yes. if I think he can do it and then I make sure that I let him initiate, you know, yes. so I can give the cue and wait. And then if he doesn't, then I ask for something else, <laughs> you know, like, right, right. So, yeah. So he's being a really good teacher with that. And an important, it's an important message that we need to be working our older horses. We need to be working the infirm horses mm-hmm. because you never know what is going to change. Yeah. And the, this work gives us so many options for them. Like even if he's, yes. if he's too unsound to walk, which now actually usually only happens when his shoes are not adjusted right, that he's like lame enough that I don't want to ask him to walk. But there's still, I can, I mean, there's endless things I could do at the halt. You know, I mean, you know, at the moment we can do hugs. We're working on hugs and um certain leg lifts I mean not I don't want to put more weight onto his bag leg but certain leg lifts he really likes and you know and then there's the whole colors or, I mean there's all kinds of yes. things that yeah. you could do <laughs> um, but even just you know if he's having a bad day even if I just do hugs and maybe like a weight shift back little weight shift back or maybe like a little head lift or something it's cool I think I mean he loves it and I think it helps 
You know, this this uh, coaching session, we, we were talking about the discrimination uh, training that Alex was doing with Colors and uh -huh. Robin, I guess. And yep. someone suggested too, to do um, numbers, you know, you so you yeah. you have on that one hand two yeah. the, the what's the word in English? Numbers. Yeah, numbers. Two yeah. and is this three? And so you could teach yeah, you how, hold up yeah, fingers. You, how many fingers am I holding up? Right. right. How many fingers? Yeah, every time. Yeah. yeah. So counting discrimination, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Which you don't need any props for because you always have your hands on you. So yeah, if you're on the trail and you want to do some a pause or distract them or whatever, you always have your hand discrimination game with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Neat. So they live with you or yeah. you live so with them. So what's the setup? Yeah. You live in their pasture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we live in an area. It's a kind of a small town, but it's a very popular recreation area. And after COVID, it's become even more popular because everyone from Seattle has moved here to work remotely, um, which means rentals are impossible to find. Yeah. So we were like, well, let's get an RV, you know? And we, so we bought an RV and asked around and found someone generous with a horse pasture uh, and, you know, we said, if we'll irrigate and take care of, she has a donkey. So we take care of her donkey and irrigate the pasture. And in exchange, we got to put the RV and the horses in the pasture. <laughs> um, and it's really fun. So we're actually in like the dirt pen area of the pasture okay. because of where the water and electricity is. <laughs> um, so they are all around our, you know, pasture in all around our RV. And yeah, I love it. It's, I mean, it's just so fun because I can walk from, you know, I've got my groceries or whatever. I'm walking from the car to the RV and they're there and they say, oh, do you want to play with us for a minute? And I can say, <laughs> sure, let's do a couple of grownups or a couple of hugs and then I'll keep carrying my groceries, you know, and you just get yes. all these little pieces of training time that that I just wouldn't have otherwise. That's right. You know. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, you that. were in one of your posts, you were describing how you have managed to communicate to them because they you were saying, you know, when I come in the pasture and I go put my grocery bags, let's say, well, they'll just wait for me at the door. And so and they can have pretty good duration and you'll go back and play with them. But then when you want to not come out anymore, how do you manage to communicate to them that, okay, it's over, don't wait for me, go do your thing because I'm not coming back for the next six hours. So you found a way to communicate this to them. How do you do it? Yeah, I've been trying to figure that out because you know, sometimes <laughs> if I'm walking back and forth, like I'm working on a project, I'm walking back and forth. I don't feel like I need to do an end of session you know, throw the treats in the pan, end of session signal, because I'll be back in one minute, you know, right. but like if I'm, so like, yeah, like if I'm going into the house, often I'll go in, set stuff down and go back out to play with them. So they'll wait like by our door <laughs> and, you know, stand there looking in <laughs> very expectantly. <Yes. laughs> um, and I'll go back out to play. But then if I'm going in for longer, 
you know, are leaving for longer, I'll usually throw some treats in a pan or give them some fresh hay or whatever, something to show them here, you should do something else because I'm not going to be out here. Mm -hmm. But then like yesterday, I uh, walked through, played with Sage a little bit, threw some treats in the pan and walked in and I was going to do some yoga or something. So I'm like doing yoga and I look out and she's standing there and I was like, (laughs) okay, well, you know, I threw the treats in the pan. I'm going to keep doing yoga. 10 minutes later, I look out, she's still there. So I was like, okay, I better go play with her. You know? <laughs> played with her. But I don't know. Did but you? They, it seems to work for them. Mm-hmm. You know? um, well, it seemed pretty clear to me that throwing yeah. in the pan, man, that's it. That's the end of the play ritual. Yeah. It just makes sense to me anyway. Yeah. If if yeah. if you're if, consistent, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then if they really wait for me, still I'll go back and mm. you know, or go back and. So it just shows that that horses like cats are really good trainers. Yeah, they are. And probably they much are. better trainers than than humans are in terms of arranging the, the environment the way they like it. Oh yes. Given half a chance. Yeah, but the 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 routines evolve. You know, I have routines and we're, you know, there's a, there's a pattern to the day and it works. Um, Yeah, I'm sure they don't wait for you at night. They know you're going to bed. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's sometimes they, I know that they don't, aren't really going to want to play. Like when they come out, come back in from eating a bunch of grass, it's nap time, you know? And, yeah. and generally they're just going to take a nap, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yeah, but I think I was writing in the course, maybe the one time it becomes a little bit more confusing is when I have visitors. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what do you, you know? do? Yeah. Well, I try to make sure I'm there <laughs> so mm. I can translate, you know, because they just don't understand. I'm like, oh, well, she's, she's asking you to play and they don't know how to play mm. the visitors. and. So, so you'll put hay down to make sure they're busy or yeah sometimes I could put hay you know their favorite hay or something or I can just go and and meet your guests for grown-ups yeah or show the guests how to tell them to back up or whatever but I I do have to make sure I think I mean my horses wouldn't neither one would get dangerous Mm -hmm. out of frustration like they just would say oh these people aren't playing and they go back to eating their hay but I still don't really want to put them through that, you know. Yeah, right. yeah. And you don't want them learning to mug. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which also could happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's wrong with because, you, person? Yeah. Right. Or you know, the person is is reaching into their pocket and giving the horse <laughs> treats in totally inappropriate times, <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, okay. I think I'm just going to separate everybody right now <laughs> yeah yeah because they yeah because he, even unless they're very experienced clicker trainers a lot of people you know they don't know they don't know the routine they don't know what the horse is being reinforced for on what rate of reinforcement etc cetera, etc cetera. and and it changes when they are visitors so you know we have to have them on a higher rate of reinforcement just to keep the I mean you you noticed that Dominique when we I remember when uh there was some uh, a reporter came to interview do an interview 
at the retirement farm. Mm -hmm. And normally you would have, you know, in the past, it brought out a horse and it would have just stood there mm -hmm. while the interview was going on. And then you brought out a horse who's now a clicker trained horse who's saying, oh, I'm standing here. You must want me to, to be Are we doing grown-ups? <laughs> yeah. I should, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing right now? What, what, can, what should I offer you? Mm -hmm. and, it was, and they wanted to be much more interactive, mm. which is, is fine, but it's a different interview. Mm. Yeah. Right. And if you're not expecting it to be a different interview. So you either manage it, like putting the, you, you know, you do a few seconds of the interview there in front of the box, but then you go somewhere else or you no. train for duration. <laughs> Right. You know, grown-up duration while you're doing the interview, and you can reinforce during the interview. You know, and ask again for more grown-ups. But certainly, it's it's a different horse, of course. And then when you get all your your in, in your guests, you know, people will do reinforcement to will reinforce to get rid of the animal. Oh right. Yes. Yeah. Just so like, you know, give him a carrot so he goes away. <laughs> So yeah, it'll it'll buy you five seconds, but you better believe that the horse will be back to that person to get no. yeah De defensive clicking. Defensive clicking, yeah. Yeah. So so another thing I want to have you talk to us about is so you have been working with children, and you've been using teaching them clicker training, which <laughs> yes. is so uh, yeah very exciting. Yeah. Because we have to teach the next generation. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and how that is working. Yes. So yeah, so partly I work for a kids program that is not clicker training. And I have wanting to been wanting to incorporate more clicker training into that program, but I haven't quite figured out how to best do that. Because our horses, you know, I think I would have to put some foundations on our horses and also then we would be teaching the kids two different languages. Have you looked at uh, using protective contact or working them on a circle with protective okay. contact? Is to have um, the kids inside the round pin mm -hmm. and the horse outside the round pin so that the in they are in protective contact, the kids are, yep. and the horses come when they want to interact. And if they don't want to interact, they can go away. I think that's a great setup. And it kind of corrals your kids too, which is kind of nice. Yeah, and you know, with the targets, they can put the targets through the bars yeah. of the round pin so they can really feel that they are interacting with the horse. Yeah. Um, and then for you to decide who feeds, is it the, the, ch the children feed or are they just doing the target and then there's someone else who can feed the horse if there's any doubt that um, it wouldn't be safe for the kids to feed the horse mm -hmm. in the beginning anyway. But I think it's great because in a lot of the therapeutic work, it's great for the kids, but not always so great for the horses. Right? right, they're screaming and they're all after the horses. And I'm always thinking, I remember when I had the adoption program for Cavalia, I would get a lot of requests from therapeutic facilities because they needed some horses and they didn't, you know, they, they love the idea of not having to pay for a well-trained horse. But 
I always visited and I was always a little bit resistant because I think it was great for the humans, but not so fun for the, for the animal. And not animals, not all horses are good with this type of work. So I think the protective contact kind of a setup with a round pin is a great, great tool yeah. for work like this. Yeah, I think that would be. And, and so the, the, you know, the, the round pen, I don't know, they maybe not have, maybe they don't have a round pen in the facility. Do they have an, um, an inside arena or no? No, yeah, no. We have like an outdoor. Okay. But I haven't done, I've done more with kids in quicker training outside of this program. Oh, um, okay. Kind of because of the, because we're already teaching them one language with horses it feels like a lot to me to then introduce this whole other language, both to the horses and to the kids. I haven't quite figured out yet what the best way to do that would be. But outside of the program, I have done some with kids and quicker training. And yes, I think that the protective contact is really good because it's so safe. Mm -hmm. you know, yes. Everyone feels safe. Yeah. And you can do lots of things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also what I've found is that kids are so good at cues. Yes. Like I was thinking most of the games that they play are about cues. Like you know, what? My, my body position like this means I'm a wizard. Your oh. body position like that means you're a pegasus. And when I do this with my arm, you turn into a frog, you know, what I mean? <laughs> which means you, which cues you to go into this body position. Okay. Like, like Simon says. Mm. You know, Simon says, touch your knees. Simon says, do it. So if you role play with kids and mm. you say, now I'm going to be the horse and you're going to be the person. Okay. I feel like adults are sometimes like, oh, you know, okay, I'm going to be a horse. And the kids are like, okay, great. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm the horse. <laughs> and they're really good at, you know, you say, so you fold your hands means the horse stands still. And they say, okay. And they just, you know, it, it's perfect. It's what they're used to. Okay. Give it you and the other one responds. And I've found it's helpful if I click. I think teaching when to click would be a whole nother skill. Like we should go through a whole teaching yeah. process of clicking each other and clicking, you know, click getting used to clicking. So teaching feeding separately, like first step would just be teaching them how to hand feed, you know, and then teaching them some cues. Which is no different from working with adults. Right. I mean, we need to do we need to do the same thing with adults. The only difference is some is maybe the, the kids catch on faster. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in the meantime they can always toss a treat in a bowl on the other side right. of the fence. Yeah. Right. If they're if, if they're it's not safe yet, they can yeah. still reinforce. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is. It is like teaching adults. I think the kids are just buy into it so well you know mm. they're like well yes this is fine yeah great you know <laughs> and that's they, really they don't they don't know that you're not supposed to use treats with horses mm -hmm. right they, why wouldn't you use a, a treat with a horse of course I want to be nice to my pony yeah yeah and one so one family who I know they um adopted a young horse almost a year ago and have been clicker training her since they got her and they have two young girls who are now helping clicker train her, which is really, really cool. And, but yeah. they also just recently adopted an older ranch horse and they sometimes will ride her and the kids will say, oh, are we gonna 
they the kids are learning the two different languages and they're saying is Suge nervous Suge is the older ranch horse so they'll say you know is Suge nervous because she's been taught traditionally you know and we can talk about that and we can talk wow. about the differences in body language between the two horses and and what does it look like to clicker train Suge and what does it look like to clicker train the young horse and it's really cool that they're seeing the two they're very becoming very aware of the two languages yes so so one of your big dreams would be to find a way to work within the horse world to make a difference and to be to have a facility where you you get to say this is how we're doing it yes would that would that be a fair statement yes so you're not having to dance around or make the compromises or choose not to because that's not how the people who are in charge of a facility are are doing things because you know it's when in Rome do as the Romans yes. do yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely and, and I just see our world and I think what kind of leaders do we need you know we need people yeah. who are creative we need people who look to science we need people who are good listeners who when something's not going their way they break things down or try it a different way you know those are all the things that quicker training teaches We do not need more leaders who kick harder when they don't get what they want, you know? Yes. I mean, that, that is what our world does is we increase pressure when we don't get what we want. And we often lose our tempers. Right. So it's not just that we increase pressure, but we get mad when we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is even worse. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it's not that like, there's so many great traditional lesson programs, including the one where I am. And it's helped so many kids, but I just feel like now there are better ways that we can start that add more layers to it. Like we already have a great thing and now we can add even more amazing layers to it by teaching kids how to communicate in this way. Well, it's funny because I think the pandemic has changed many things, including the workplace which was, you know, much closer to the traditional principles of putting pressure on the employees. And whereas now, because there's such a lack of employees, the balance of power is now in the employees camp. And, you know, all the workplaces have to find new ways of interacting with their employees. And pressure and punishment is no longer the way to keep your employees. So you have to find new ways. How do you keep employees when there's such a lack of employee? So it's, I think there's a lot of things are going to be transformed and in in the better direction in a way, I think. Yeah. We can but hope. Yeah. And and it's that expression of you can't take something away without putting something else in its place. So it's all well and good to say, well, you know, yelling at your employees. <laughs> Yelling at uh, using punitive tactics, maybe not the best idea in the world. Because they're gone. When they, yeah, when Bye. they, when they, they won't walk. even tell you they're gone. They resign yeah. in, yeah. in, yeah. in their own home and they decide I'm not going back there on Monday. That's right. So when, when they can walk that easily, it's not a good idea perhaps to use those tactics. But if that's all you know, mm. then you are you are really coerced by it's, you're coerced by the you're 
the degrees of freedom being, you know, of having no degrees of freedom in terms of how to do it differently. And what is so important with the clicker training is that we are learning through our horses how to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about the horses, but it's also about so much more than, yeah. than just the horses. Yeah, yeah, our whole society needs to shift, but, but we don't yes. know how to. So that's what, you know, that's what is so important is we're, I think this work is showing people how to shift. Yeah. It's, giving, it's giving us all more tools. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we see the results. You know, because it's been ingrained in us, the punishment route is the one that we have seen so for so long. But when you see the results of, and we know because we've been at the end of it too, but still, you know, we use, we use that until we start seeing the miracles that clicker training, you know, with animals that people thought were hopeless, and that you can completely transform with this way of, of working with them and relating to them. So when you see Sage getting younger. Yeah, exactly. And when you see her, you know, really bubbling and coming alive and the joy that that brings, that, that's so, so totally validating. Yeah. Totally yeah. validating. And then you have to learn to, to balance the enthusiasm Right. <laughs> then it's something else that you need to learn. You need yeah. to, how do I handle all this? You know, she's very perky and all that, and you want to keep it safe. So then, because in the beginning, it's, it's like a miracle when you have the animals start to express themselves and it's beautiful to see. And then you have to learn how to harness all that so that it all stays harmonious and safe for everyone. And it certainly something that can be done. It's very, um, and, I mean, Alex, you, in the recent years, you've dedicated a lot of presentations to emotional balance and how to keep things safe. There are very practical things, inserting pauses and, you know, the rhythm of the training session. There are very concrete things that you can apply to make sure that a session stays safe. You just have to be aware of it you have to see it coming a little bit when the when you're starting to lose or not lose control but when the pace is starting to be uncomfortable a little bit and it's certainly true with children because you know they could be caught in the middle of something that is starting to be less safe and the last thing you want is for the parents to say we're not doing this anymore because it's not safe it was really fun for six months, but now this happened and, you know, it's the safety of the children. We don't want to do it anymore. So, and that's a pretty, I would say it's a pretty foreseeable thing that, you know, as the animals are getting more, they understand the game that of course they will try to control the game. You know, yeah. it's just the natural thing for, for anyone to do. So how to keep everything safe is the next step. But you've, you've built great balancers in through the use of the foundation lessons. Yeah, that's true. So mm -hmm. you're not um, just starting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, true. So those balancers are, are evolving with the training. I mean, that's what I'm seeing when I've seen the video clips of, of both of your horses, that yeah. that is in place. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I found, you know, I feel like there's so few clicker trained horses, relatively. But mm -hmm. I found like when people come to see 
my horses any problem they see they blame on clicker training <laughs> yeah. and I, I always have to tell them i'm like this is not clicker training's fault this is my fault because i'm a beginner at this you know our our world is not a positive reinforcement world so when we for the most part you know the way we right. structured our society so when i'm learning to shape behavior with positive reinforcement it's a very steep learning curve because i've never seen it done you know, and, sure. and I mean, my horses don't have problems anyways, but <laughs> if, if they did have problems, people would blame it on, on clicker training and not yeah. on me. You know, I've, I've spent how many years using negative reinforcement and punishment in the horse world and two years clicker training using yes. positive yes. reinforcement you know so it's of course there's gonna but be, when you're using the traditional yeah. methods it's not the method it's the stubborn horse exactly. right but when you're using clicker yeah. training it's that method it's the carrot that's the problem yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's been an interesting thing <laughs> it, it is a really good point to keep in mind and where we need to be kind to ourselves so when we run when you run into a roadblock or you know the horse is presenting behavior that you're not that sure, you know, how do I know what I would do if I were using conventional training? I would just, right. you know, <laughs> smack that horse or whatever. You know, you there, there, there are lots of solutions. There, we've had thousands of years to come up with solutions uh, using punitive methods. But when you say, you know, I, I am going to take those off the table and I have to figure out a solution without using this part of my repertoire, this part of my toolbox. I'm going to I'm going to become more creative because I've taken those options away. How do I solve this puzzle? And uh, it may take me a little bit of head scratching. It may take me a couple cups of tea. You may uh, come and see my horses and they may look a little rough around the edges, but come back in a couple months and, <laughs> and see what you think. I, you know, I may have sorted this out. And Michaela talks about this with Blondie. Blondie's not her first horse, not her first clicker trained horse. Blondie's number three. And there are a lot of things that she now understands and knows how to teach to Blondie in a way that's, that creates really elegant, beautiful, smooth sailing. But if Blondie were her first horse, it would not be as <laughs> as elegant and gorgeous because there is a learning curve to all of this and we need to be kind to ourselves and to each other as we go through the learning curves and support one another. This is why it's so important that as clicker trainers, we share with one another and we're especially online that, you know, that we are careful how we talk to one another so that we're not, the expression is we're not eating, eating our young kind of thing, that we are supportive and share and are collegial because we're all pioneers. We're all trying to figure this out. And every horse is that study of one mm -hmm. unique individual who has something to teach all of us. Huck and Sage have something to teach you. And then by extension, they have something to teach all of us. And one of the things that they're teaching us is, you know, go ahead and, and take on those older horses or potentially unsound horse because you just never know. 
where it's going to take you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like a, a really nice place to draw our conversation to a close. Feels like we have maybe there's something else we want to chew on, but perhaps we'll leave that for <laughs> uh, another time. But that seems like a, a good place to, to end for the day. Let me, can I just say what the dream is? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Well, and yes. the dream. Yes. My sister and I have a dream to someday start a classical dressage, clicker training, horse rescue. And basically we, you know, have seen over the years, adult amateurs who love horses and finally have enough money to get their own horse and think ended up at these in these situations where they think in order to be happy and do dressage they have to import a horse from Europe yes and it is very often not a good fit because the adult amateur is 54 and the horse is 17 hands and has huge movement and has been bred yep. to be really hot and sensitive yep and so we were like well there's all these Mustangs who are actually the perfect height for adult amateurs um, and they're just sitting and holding pens. So the dream is to use classical dressage and clicker training to popularize Mustangs in the dressage world and that people oh. could instead of make it popular that instead of going to Europe to get a horse you could come get a very very well trained beautiful Mustang to be your dressage partner. And but that's, that is, you know, it's all a dream yeah, at the moment. <laughs> that is a fabulous dream. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I live on the East Coast, so I don't have that much contact with Mustangs. Mm -hmm. But because of the traveling that I've done, and in particular up in your neck of the woods, up in uh, the Northwest, mm -hmm. I have met some just absolutely phenomenal phenomenal Mustangs. So athletic yeah. and what yeah. great brains. Yes. I've been very impressed yeah. with pretty much every Mustang I've met, you know, yeah. healthy, great brains, you know, athletic, smart. I mean, yeah. What's not to yeah. want, you know? And I think there's enough romance, which sometimes drives me crazy that there's this romance around Mustangs because it, people end up getting them for the wrong reasons sometimes. Yes. But I think it actually could be helpful in popularizing them within that world. And and a lot of the Mustangs have Spanish blood in them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> They're meant to do dressage. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a great dream. And, you know, in the constructional training with the gold diamond four questions that it begins with, you know, what is your dream? Where do you want to go and dream big? So mm -hmm. that's how you get there is you dream big. And yeah. I love that dream. So. Well, best of luck. Yes. Yeah. And thank you, you yeah. for spending time with us this afternoon. Yes. Yeah, yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you much. Thank you for listening. This conversation is a great reminder that there are many horse rescues out there. There's probably a horse rescue not far from where you live. And every horse rescue that I have encountered is always eager for volunteer help. It's a great way to get a lot of experience working with horses. And if you're interested in my online clinics and other resources, please visit my website, theclickercenter.com. Next week, we're going to be talking with Krista's sister, 
Taylor, and it's going to be on a completely different topic. We're going to be delving into the history books to explore how animals were viewed in past centuries. It's a fun conversation, so do please join us. And until then, train well and have fun with your horses. Thank you.